Welcome to Roots and Sparks, hosted by me, Corey Ozer. In nature, roots nourish, give life, and connect. As humans, we draw energy from our roots. In times of change and uncertainty, our roots help keep us grounded. We will talk with people from around the world who draw strength from their roots while forging new connections as they create small sparks of hope, inciting us to imagine a kinder and more just world. My guest is Dr. Abel Telejon. Born in Ethiopia, his work is rooted in and transcends place and time, inviting questions about the intensely felt shifts that humanity is experiencing. Rather than fear this change, he reminds us that we are living in a negotiable space with the power to shape what is around us, not only through words and action, but all forms of creative expression. Currently a Guggenheim Fellow at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., Abel's work provokes us to imagine new connections beyond the artificial boundaries we create. So, Abel, I know you had the vision to become an artist, from a very young age in Ethiopia. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that was like and what inspired you? What gave you that vision? Um, so um, how, how, how can I explain how I was inspired? So art was like just a part of the house that I grew up in. Um, my dad was... Um, my dad was an engineer, but he went to this school, that boarding school in Ethiopia called the Wingate School. And uh, it's like basically like this elite school with like all sorts of like amazing kids from around the country. They put them in one, in mm. one boarding school. They teach them. These are supposed to be like the best students and they're going to be like they're going to change the, the country, that mm. kind of thing. So he, he was like educated. Uh, in painting by a very renowned, very famous artist, unfortunately, he's, I mean, you, you'd see his work in the National, um, like the Smithsonian Museum of African African Art. Um, so he yeah, this um, figure and he, he was, he was educated um, with, by him. And my mom was a musician in, mm. in her, um, early days in her career, she graduated from Yard Music School. She was a clarinet, clarinetist, or how do you, how do you say it? <laughs> yeah, she, played, <laughs> she played the clarinet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she was good at it. She was like um, high ranking, like she, she got a distinction when she graduated from school, that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, art was just, just part of the household, you know, like my, my dad painted in the weekend, um, did like what watercolor of us? You know, we, he would sit us down and and paint our portraits. Um, in the weekends, like for example, Sundays, we had to like sit down for like two to th to three hours and listen to like you know Mozart or some mm. you know like classical music or whatever whatever my dad thought was like the best in music. We had to actually sit down and just listen. 
And uh, it was a, a lot of practice of like self-restraint, you know, as a kid, like to, to just not move around and, and be fidgety and just, you know, um, and pay attention to the music, you know, and which was music at, at that time, like made no sense to us, but we, we got like our music, music history education, you know, in the early days. And so, yeah, that, that was how it was. And, uh, but I was particularly interested in art more than my brothers and sisters. Mm. And everybody noticed that they were mm. like, this guy is going to be an artist. And I knew I was going to be an artist. So there wasn't a, a sort of doubt that, that I had in my mind that I was anything else but an artist all my life. So, and I had other, other um, relatives, neighbors, uh, and a, a particular mentor that really helped me um, realize that vision. Um, that was like, a, he, he was really interested in me being an artist and worked really hard um, to encourage me and motivate me as well. So I had a lot of like a lot of support in, in that sense. But at the same time, I think art, because it's, um, there wasn't a lot of evidence of artists making a lot of money in Ethiopia back mm. then. So even though people were theoretically excited about it, but pra when it comes to the practical aspect of it, they were like telling me, you know, like they were suggesting maybe I should become an architect, you know, uh. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> it's connected. <laughs> it's connected. <laughs> and maybe you'll make a little bit of money uh. here. And, and so, yeah, it was just a, a mixed bag. But, but yeah, so. So what kept you going then? You, you didn't veer off and become an architect. So what kept you on that path? Yeah, again, like it, it was a, a mixed environment. So like I said, I had a mentor that really encouraged me, mm -hmm. that, I, that mm -hmm. told me that I could make it. I mm -hmm. could do it. I could be an artist. Um, and so for that reason, that, that, that was a big support. Um, and, and I had friends that, that were interested in going to art school. Um, some of whom did go to art school, some of whom didn't go to art school. Um, but yeah, it was a kind of, I, I was able to cultivate like a friend group and environment, you know, that the students in my school that were interested in art. Um, I had a, a teacher also that was that, um, oh, this is a good story for you, actually. Um, so I had a teacher, an art teacher that, admired my brother, my older brother. We were like a year and a half old. Uh, he was a year and a half older than me. And uh, he was a, a really good artist. Like he could draw really well. So when I came around, when I, when I went to school, he thought I was like either copying his work or copying from art books. Oh. So he, he would see me like I'm like in first grade, you know, six year old or something like that. And, and I could draw really well. And so he was like, this is, definitely a copy from something and <laughs> and so he would get really upset about that because he knew my brother was like could could draw really well so he had some high hopes for me but i was this guy that just likes to copy things and so that was frustrating to him so when when there's like art competitions he wouldn't send my work he would you know like on third in third grade i found my my art my painting that I worked really hard 
to to produce. I found it in a in a kind of in a dumpster in the in the back of the, the school. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and told my mom about you know about this, and uh, my mom got furious and and she went and talked to him. And um, I don't know what the discussion was. Was basically like she she was like trying to convince him that I wasn't copying that I was that talented. Like how however like <laughs> unlikely that a a whatever year old and a seven or eight year old you know wouldn't be able to draw that I was actually the one drawing it. And and so um, so he had a class that day. This this was this happened in the morning. Like she came to school. She talked to him. She was tough. She was a young mom. Um, she, she had us, she had me when she was 22. So she can, you can imagine at, mm-hmm. at age eight, mm-hmm. she, she was still very young. And, and so she gave him a hard time. <laughs> so, and, um, so at the, at, at the end of the school day, his, his class was like the, the, I think the seventh class or something. We, I went to school, full day school, uh, all boys Catholic school. Um, uh, so he, he came to class. First thing he said was like, Abel, I want you to come up to the board. And he gave me a chalk and said, draw something. And he stood in the back of the class and just, I was like, I don't know what, what's happening. You know, I was a shy <laughs> kid. So I, I got up and I started drawing something. I drew whatever. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Uh, and then he just had the whole class like clap for me. Oh. And, and he's, he like, you know, apologized. Ever since then, he kind of became my best friend. In a sense, oh, like as, as teachers could be best friends. Like he gave me all sorts of materials. He give you give me like your paper, your paint, whatever you know to take home, and and I would I would show him what I do, um, and he would show my work as like his example for like eighth graders, ninth graders, whatever. He'd be like, draw like this guy, what you know that kind of thing. <laughs> so he thought I was a genius, and 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 so that was a a big confident confidence builder i mean yeah so i was kind of treated like like a prodigy and, and mm-hmm. in ethiopia there wasn't a lot of like economic advantage to be an artist so i yeah so you you do all these things you make artworks you do little shows and whatever but it's very local so then you went on you continued to study art and eventually you you left Ethiopia for a period of time. And I imagine as you were growing up, you weren't necessarily thinking of yourself as I'm, I'm an African artist or I'm an Ethiopian artist. You were probably just expressing yourself and, and living into the talents you had. But as you've had now some international exposure and going back and forth, I'm curious to, to know a little bit about how you, how your identity as an artist that's rooted in Ethiopia and in Africa, how that affects how you uh, how you're situated i guess in in the world of art and the work that you do yeah i mean you know when when you're a kid you don't think of yourself as i'm this thing or mm-hmm. that thing i mean i i think like you don't even think about like if you're even uh, um you know, like like an African or something. Like you just you just a person, right? Um, and as an artist, early on, I used to fight this this idea of like being an African artist. I had I had a problem with with that mm. labeling. I still do to some extent. Mm. Um, or an Ethiopian artist, or this or that. Like because I want to be like, you know, when you when you go to like museums and you see a lot of artists 
it's like their work is 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 presented as an artist, not mm-hmm. as African artist. Yeah. But they just make art. You don't you don't you don't try to make it Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's a that's a disservice to the concept to the work that you do. If you if you if you have to artificially insert Ethiopianness to the work, so I try not to do that. But but I like the word Ethiopian um, next to my name. I think it's a it's a huge huge responsibility and a privilege to to have that. So I'm I appreciate that. I I don't I don't have a lot of problem with it. But mm-hmm. yeah. But I, like I said, I you know I think I want people to also see my work as just art. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, that'll be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like that that I'm you know that I'm in conversation with every artist in the world. Like yes. that that uh-huh. like we're thinking about what's the most innovative thing that I can do today? Mm-hmm. Not like as an African, as a whatever, mm-hmm. but like just... As a human being. As a human Who's being. creating where, art? Yeah, where is art today uh-huh. and where yes. can we, how yes. can we push it further? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, something having, having had the privilege of seeing some of your work and seeing one of your shows, um, I think something that struck me is how your work encourages people to see... The, the continuum of history. So whether it's your personal roots or the roots of a culture, but to see the way that we're in a period of change, but that we are coming from, we're coming from somewhere, we're coming from something. So I'm just interested in how you explore that interplay between history and the contemporary world and, and how you're navigating that as a, as a person who is expressing themselves through art. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, that the the historical aspect of, you know, the history like sipping into my work wasn't a very intentional decision. It was just um you know, work that I make sort of sits on a context. And in order to kind of understand what that work is about, then you have to start to explain what the history about this object is or the history of this this thinking behind behind what I'm doing. And so therefore I was like, oh, okay, so there's there's a heavy necessity for 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 uh, you know for history to be part of my work. And um I think that also comes out of like you said, you know, I I come to a totally different you know environment um from where I grew up. And um so I'm I'm speaking to many audiences. Um, and so there's a necessity for for the different audiences to be for them to be engaged in my work. I have to be a little bit more aware of like the influences of where the forms and the stories are coming from. Um, I think also, I think we're we're living in a time where there's so much changing, where where the the pace of change is intense and technology and AI. And I'm, and I'm wondering what, what do you think, how can art help us navigate that Mm. change and help uh, whether you're a person that's creating it or whether you're absorbing it and appreciating it, navigate that human experience during a, a pretty unique period of time. I think there are, times in in history that we can point to where there are also a lot of change and there was you know the level of technology at those times but i think yeah. we could argue it's even a faster pace so i'm just curious about how art helps us process what's happening yeah. in the larger 
Well, so um, maybe I'll take a, a, an indirect way of like answering this question. <laughs> um, I was talking to a, a geologist and his name is Jay Dixon. He's a space geologist. So he looks at Mars and geology of Mars. And, uh, and I was talking to him the other day and, um, and, and, and he uh, studies like areas that have very little human or animal contact on earth and he looks at um he he t he takes all these uh cameras and takes pictures every five minutes or so and and views the whole footage that he gets uh that he collects over a year and so he turns it into time lapse you know all these mm. photos and he looks at what happens to this environment to this geological space and I asked him, I said, what did you learn out of like collecting all this data and looking at these videos made out of like a, you know, one year time lapse situation? Like, what did you, what did you learn? He said, um, things in, in nature happen not gradually, but really fast at one point. Mm. So for example, the landscape stays the same, looks like it's staying the same all year long, except for this like couple of days where there's something violent happens, like some kind of natural occurrence that happens or like it could be a few hours, but the land landscape is completely changed. So, you know, like the world is sort of like that, you know, where, where things sort of happen really fast and mm. then, you know, things take like a long time to change, you know? And so I think this is kind of like you're the way you're kind of experiencing the time we're living in now to me, that's how I understand it. It's like this mm. really fast and violent kind of motion, something mm. changing, mm. Um, a paradigm shift in a sense is what we're living through. And I think people are are feeling it. There, There's a lot of anxiety around that. And so the question is great. Like, how does art allow us to process it? How, how does art help us deal with it? But another question is, how does art document this moment? Huh is also a fascinating situation because, you know, we look back at like cave paintings and and all sorts of arts throughout history. And it's a great way to like document something that you couldn't document on paper, like, you know, by writing about it or by collecting data or it, it art taps into some other level of documentation that any other documentation can't, can't really do justice, you know? And so that that is really exciting to me that if we effectively document this moment and not about what what anthropologists can document, mm, what what mm -hmm. sociologists can document, what the financial system can document, whatever it is, that extra other thing that only art can document, that we've done a really good job, you know. And um, so that's a multifaceted question, right? Um, so other than documentation, if we think about how do we process um, this world with art through art? I think it's a great time to process this this time through art. Um, for one thing, we have a lot of tools that weren't available to, like you said, AI and and these kind of TikTok, <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah, like it 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 really allows for a lot of people to participate. Mm. You know, so if we if we're conscious about what we're doing, if we're you know, have like, and, and the professionals have a lot of, with with being a professional, there's a lot of uh, responsibility, you know, like if you're an artist, 
then you know there's also responsibility of like creating work that elevates society mm -hmm. or or like for me my artist statement has always had something like you know art increases the value of humanity so i always think that i'm responsible for something or i'm there's like standards and and ethics like there's a lot of uh, value that i can create and so if people that have these tools also have that that kind of attitude about it as they use the tools that's that'll be great you know um yeah so i mean the tools the availability of the tools is, is a good thing but that also comes with a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. what i think mm -hmm. i'm curious to go back to that notion you mentioned of a paradigm shift yeah. so i'm curious what do you think is what do you think is shifting what do I think is shifting? Mm. Ooh, that's hard to say <laughs> because we're inside the shift. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the work that I've done is like is questioning what we're what we're living through. So because I think it's it's very easy. I think it's it's tempting to say to 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 conclude uh, or to have like some kind of prescription. Mm -hmm. But I think it, I would be equally wrong as anybody else that would <laughs> prescribe it. <laughs> it's often much later when historians go back and say, yeah, it's oh, like, yes, this is that what happened. The, yeah, <laughs> that was the this. industrial revolution. Exactly. At that moment, people it's were like, not saying. You have <laughs> no clue what's going yeah. on, like where we're going and, and what, what are the shifts uh -huh. that are taking place. Yeah, I think that it's, it's good to be humble and, and say, <laughs> I think the question itself is really important to, mm. to, mm -hmm. to think about, to contemplate. So... And it's really generative, you know, like it, it, you could create a lot of incredible artwork out of that particular anxiety or mm. out of that particular like sort of uncertainty awareness as yeah, well. Knowing that feeling that things are changing, yeah. but you're not exactly sure changing to what. And yeah. is, it, bad? is it good <laughs> or bad, right? And so yeah. I think it's like the, the debate around AI, yeah. the, the possibilities, the opportunities, but also the fear. So it's that yeah. uncertainty. Yeah, and, and it's, it's. I think if you have a a, a a situation where you have a conclusion in your mind, or l let's say you have a a flattened understanding of the thing, again, it becomes very difficult to make good art out of that. You know, it's always more fascinating to deal with things that you're overwhelmed by, mm, you know? or the ambiguities. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. and that's. Uh, that that comes to like the idea of history too, because history becomes important. Because if you don't contrast this moment with other times, mm. then what does this mean? It, mm. This means nothing if you're not if it's not sitting next to something else, right? So history becomes important. Um, another another aspect of history that um, if I come if I go back to to your previous question is like coming from a a civilization that might have been, I don't know, thousands of years old, you know, for me, and being placed in, into a situation where maybe this civilization is like a few hundred years old. And the kind of the contention between those two conversations, like where, where it's, where it becomes very difficult to, to have a, a consensus on, on matters because, mm -hmm. This one is a very young civilization, mm -hmm. and like and, meaning the U.S. Yeah, well, right the, the West and the U.S. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you have like the older civilization. So mm -hmm. the, these two worlds trying to converse is, is mm -hmm. sort of a very fascinating um, 
conundrum as well um, mm. and generative as well. Um, mm. Something else I'm curious about, which I can glean from some of our conversations. We've also talked about how we are living in a time where there's a temptation to polarize and to divide mm. and to divide ourselves into ideological camps. And I think that can affect musicians or visual artists who might be might be encouraged to say, well, what does your art represent? Or what's the viewpoint your art represents? Or what are you trying to do with your art in terms of advancing some particular perspective? But it seems like you've resisted being placed or being mm -hmm. situated in one, uh, one camp or another. So I wonder, you know, what, what you can share about just that feeling of polarization um, that we yeah. might experience and, and how you see yourself um, navigating within that. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, this this word nuanced, nuanced conversation has become a cliche, right? We, we use it a lot, but I don't, I don't know if we know what it means. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is, is, that I tend to resist anything that, that's current and only current. And the reason why that is is because when I see, when I go to museums and I see paintings by, you know, uh, it, it could be anyone. And the reason why I respond to those paintings is because it has a, some level of timelessness to it that it could speak to me today from like 500 years ago, this thing was made and it could, it could meet me where I'm, where I'm at right now. And that, that I find is like incredibly mm. exciting, which is to say, like, I've had conversations with people about this and people tell me, well, you can't dictate like if your work is gonna, if you, if your work is gonna mean anything 200 years from now, 300 years from now, 500 years from now, but it's really great to try, <laughs> you know, it's like, just because, just because maybe it's an impossible task doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And it's also not it up to me, right? Before. <laughs> well, it's not up to me and that, that yeah. makes sense, right? Like it's, it has nothing to do with the artist. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Caravaggio's work. I don't know if Caravaggio had any say in the fact that like, mm -hmm. I would respond to it, an Ethiopian you know, uh, who is, uh, you know, the, the if you know about the history of, of Ethiopians and Italians, it's kind of amazing that I would respond to it that well, you know. But Caravaggio, I don't think he could dictate what I what I would think. You know, he, he cannot do that. The only thing he can do is like the best he can at the time, right, to make really good good art you know, or cool artwork for you know whatever whatever he thinks is the best thing he can produce but it's sort of interesting to me to think like okay there are issues that we are worried about today or whatever do we worry about them tomorrow mm. i don't know some of them we might worry about mm -hmm. them some of them we don't but how do i make something that's beyond all those things mm. that and I don't know if I did that successfully, but it's a it's a really fascinating question to keep asking so that I can make more more stuff. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and thinking of something also that is 
beyond what we're experiencing immediately in our everyday life. Uh, but that we have heard more about these oh. days is the the universe beyond Earth and, and outer space. Yeah. I think with the conversations around um, traveling to the moon, colonizing the moon, the, the very wealthy exploring outer space. Yeah. I know, interestingly, that the the world of space has had some draw or fascination for you and plays into uh -huh. some of your artwork and that you happen to be this year at the Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum doing a postdoc fellowship. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about yeah. that that interest and that draw into your work. And yeah, well, you so that. that comes from the simple question of, again, it sort of relates to your previous question, which is what's important versus what's urgent. Because mm. I think everyone knows how to deal with like urgent things and, and take out fires, you know, but how do we prioritize the important things? Um, and so that's a really fascinating thing. So for example, with the space stuff, you'd see, you'd see like a lot of evidence of like old Ethiopian astronomy or astronomical, uh, astronomical thinking or cosmological wondering and thinking. And how do they think about these things, you know, thousands of years ago? And to this day, there's so much interest in this field. Mm. And even though the, the kind of the, the power dynam dynamics have shifted, let's say, in the, in, let's say like uh, 2,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago, Ethiopia was like on top of the world, big superpower. So it makes sense that they're thinking about the stars. Now, maybe not so much but still they're thinking about the stars. Mm. And so that, that's really fascinating to me. And I, and I, and I learned a lot from that. Um, I went to the Ethiopian Space Science Society um, general assemblies and, and these events that they have and all, you know, thousands of kids, you know, from public schools, they flock to this, to these, you know, lectures and things. It's amazing. So it sort of reminds me of how I was a kid and wanting to be an artist. And with, like I said, with no evidence of, of artists <laughs> making money or having a good uh -huh. life, <laughs> you know, but, you know, but you know what you have to do, you know, it's that kind of thing. And uh, so it was a, an incredibly interesting thing to think about. So with uh, wanting to go to space, it's something that we can't help but think about. Mm -hmm. It's some kind of code within us. So, yes, it's maybe who can make it happen is the rich people, but it's ingrained in everyone. Like, maybe not going, but everyone's wondering about space. Mm. What's happening out there is a question that you find around the world. It's one of the most common things that kids get curious about. Exactly. Out of yeah. outer space. <laughs> <laughs> so whether they can afford it or not, <laughs> you know, it's there. It's a code, you know, it's like we're curious about the, the sun, you know, next to the sea. And we're curious about the stars above. And it's just, it's something about being human. And, mm. and that's, really fascinating mm. you know but then there's a lot of like conversations out you know because of that like there's so many things you think about who's space for um 
and you know what what you know then you get into like a lot of anthropological questions you get into a lot of like sociological questions and what um political questions and all sorts of things but it's still a very fascinating fascinating uh subject mm-hmm. no i agree it's <laughs> i think especially as we think about just the how small our our space here on earth is when we think mm. of the larger universe it, and and time thinking about the the age of the of the stars yeah. it's just beyond what you can concretely process in your yeah. daily life yeah and you know that like it, it it's like a fad in in the sense that like sometimes these kind of topics are very popular mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. sometimes they're not um so you have like this term you know like afrofuturism i don't subscribe to that kind of uh you know term i i do appreciate people who have done a lot of scholarship a lot of work around that area um but for myself just personally i don't consider myself an afrofuturist or um because again like i find a lot of amazingly futuristic things that happened you know um like 1200 12 1200 years ago for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. In, in Ethiopia so this thing this kind of quest and this kind of like exploration have 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 always happened so what are we going to call those people you know it's it's it just makes mm-hmm. no sense to me but um but um what's interesting about space is is if if you're not interested on earth space is really not interesting you know like it it becomes about technology it becomes about metal you know shooting metal into space and that kind of stuff but what really makes it exciting is world views mm. you know what makes it mm. exciting is like mm-hmm. hum- humanity and human experience human understanding of 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 you know consciousness and all sorts of things right like that's not about technology that's not about rockets and 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 things like that. So I I try to kind of um make work about, you know, if I if I if I think about space, I'm also thinking about earth as part of space, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and history as part of space, you mm-hmm. know? Like that it's not like this modern, you know, space age, you know, um only space age related sci-fi question, you know? So it's not yeah, it's, it's I don't I don't want it to be superficial like and I and I think that's uh I'm sure you know our our kind of conversation will bring out some of some of why I think these things were always important you know to people and always part of art and always part of literature and that kind of stuff you know? mm, it's always that that quest to understand I think the the f- the experience of being human in relation to the cosmos in relation yeah. to the things that are much bigger than the the conc- your daily life yeah. and i think that's a constant um throughout history has been a constant way of trying to process exactly <laughs> like place. yeah exactly like you, you can only understand you know yourself like or how small or how big you are as compared to what mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. So always you need like some kind of point of reference and I think space is a point of reference mm. 
uh, outer space, uh, you know, I have to be specific <laughs> about that. Outer space <laughs> is a point of reference to understand pretty much everything, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are you exploring at the Smithsonian this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, the Guggenheim grant that I have at the Smithsonian Airspace Museum, it's a one-year fellowship, and it allows me to do a lot of research um, around three areas. Um, one is I'm working on a book. Uh, I'm also working on a show that's going to be born out of the, the book and also my, my time here, like my inspiration. I want to turn that into an art show, and I'm working on that. Um, the third is I'm continuing to like work on my documentary film that I've uh, finished for my um, dissertation, but the dissertation version is very long and very dissertation -y, you know like it's about <laughs> arguments and and really not accessible to the public so i'm trying to see if i can uh you know make it accessible to the public so make it a little bit more entertaining make it make it more palatable to to the public uh yeah to the to public audience you know as opposed to like academic you know uh audience so um those are the things that i'm working on so to get a little bit more specific about, let's say, talk about the book, because these three things are different things. But the book is about, I'm working on an idea of looking at animation and its purpose in our understanding of outer space. And so mm. I go back to history. I look at animations that were made in, in cave paintings, all the way to animations that are being made with AI for purpose of space. Um, and what's interesting about this, this, this book that I'm working on is there's so many correlations and causalities about anim with animation and space or uh, astronomy because both of the fields are about understanding movement, time, and space. They're both fields of studying these three elements. And so which means if you're an astronomer, you're concerned about a movement of an object, you know, the amount of time that that, <laughs> that object takes from, you know, X to Y or whatever. And the, so I said movement, object, and space. So the space that it takes, right? So these, these, these three things have to be there. So how do we communicate or how do we understand movements that are happening uh, out there? Um, that means we have to document on a two-dimensional surface, on a, say, a parchment. It could be uh, on a, yeah, mostly parchment back in the day. Uh, how, do we, how do we communicate the movement that happens in space over time? That's an animation problem. Like, that's what animators do is how they create these movements in space and time on a two-dimensional surface which is your computer screen, be it, uh, be it any kind of screen or, or paper. Uh, when you do flip book, that's what you're doing. You're putting you know, something that is moving through time, uh, across time and across space on this little piece of paper uh, by creating multiple drawings and, uh, and you, can, you can document that. So that's what astronomers were doing too.
Mm. So it's there's uh, so many really great examples like you know Galileo making you know these frame by frame drawings of the moon or doing similarly with the sunspots. Uh, I have this um, the inspiration for the book was this book called uh, Bahar Hasab, an Ethiopian book, book of calculations. And in that book, I found this drawing of the phases of the moon that was sequentially, painstakingly painted on, on this parchment. And I put that on a timeline on my computer without doing much with it. Um, I was able to animate it at a very high, high frame rate, like how you uh, see a, a Disney animation. So a lot of the techniques they used to create those phases of the moon resemble um, like, you know, after almost 500 or 600 years, what the Disney animators were doing. Mm. And so that was <laughs> the inspiration for the book. <laughs> and then I started looking into it and there's a ton of correlations that, that, that I'm finding. So that's my chapter one. But then I go into other times where animations were really vital for creating um you know, uh, public interest in space or for public funding, public interest, or for educational purposes. Um, so there's a lot of examples with, you know, Disney NASA collaborations and Georges Mellier who did like the trip to the moon and on and on and on. And, and to this day, you know, I have, uh, I'm talking to like the NASA Goddard, uh, institution. I'm talking to the NASA JPL um, to understand what their contributions were for animation. And there's, there's a lot of interesting things to, um, to write about. So that's what I'm working on. Mm, fascinating. Um, I'm curious now as you're spending, you're spending some extended time with a museum here in the U.S. And I think museums in the U.S. do a pretty good job of trying to become centers of education of exchange between both, again, the, the historical preservation of art and other forms of expression with what's happening in the contemporary world. And I'm curious how you see the evolving role of museums in Africa and, mm -hmm. and how that looks to you. Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of museums in the U.S., I've, I've, I've been very lucky to work with museums um, be it, you know, from the inside or outside, you know, mm -hmm. like I've, I've shown artworks in these, um, in museums, um, and I've visited a lot of museums. I've also done work in, 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 in on the back end of museums, you know, seeing behind the curtains. Um, so it's really fascinating to me how these institutions work and how they function, but also like, for example, the NASA Museum, like the you know the National Air and Space Museum here in, in DC, like the if you if you went there any day, you'd see like a huge line, you know, in front of in front of the museum. So people, whether it's be cold or really <laughs> you know hot, you know the July heats or whatever, you'd see like this massive line, people trying to get into this museum, and it's kind of incredible, like that by itself is such a, an incredible thing, you know, to have a set of objects in a, in a warehouse almost and, and have that much um, 
interest, you know, public interest. Um, so they've done a, an incredible job of of promoting um, the field itself um, and to capture people's imagination. You know, they've done a really incredible job. So how do we how do we make that happen? And I think th- that's an important thing. Museums have a very very important educational purpose. Um, and in Ethiopia, for example, there's a, we have a new space museum that my kids went to, and they were t- telling me about it, and they were very fascinated. By it. mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful museum uh, in the downtown Addis. Um, so that was the first one, the space museum that we never had. We didn't have that. You know, um, this is like maybe might be like a couple of years old now. Um, we have a planetarium and these kind of things, and this is like these are the steps to to sort of participate. And if you want to have a say in in outer space, then you start with museums, you start with space policy, you start with space education, you start with these things. And then you um, then you start to have a say about what you want to happen to your sky, you know, whether you want something to happen to it or not. <laughs> and, you know, it starts with knowledge, you know, like, um, so... So yeah, I think it's it's very important to work around in, in education, the education sector. Um, so I have a lot of uh, ambitions in terms of uh, disseminating knowledge. You know, not not just knowledge that's imported, but you know, indigenous knowledge that that gets. Um, if we can figure out how to shine light to a lot of the incredible wealth that we have in, in Africa, you know, uh, scholarly wealth that we have in Africa. So that takes a lot of work, but we need, we need to start somewhere, you know. Um, this is not to say I, I'm the one who's going to start it. It's just to say that the continuation needs to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that answer your question? It does. No, no, it <laughs> does. It's a hard one. <laughs> Well, thinking about education, I know that we are, we're both parents and something that we've talked about is how it's interesting that in one hand, uh, as we've said, that we're living in a time where people are creating things more than ever with some of the social media and the the ways that people are documenting their own lives, whether it's the minutia of their lives or whether it's something larger. And at the same time, that I know I can speak from this, my own experience as being a parent, sometimes it feels like um, things can seem very easy, whether it's becoming a musician or becoming an artist, where all the work that it takes to get to that space where you're presenting yourself um, publicly isn't necessarily apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a time where there's there is so much there's so there's not only the the four or five chat tv channels that were around yeah. say when i was growing up but there there's so much we're constantly inundated with other people's creation and information so how do we how do you whether as parents or just as someone in the world how do you inspire people to both especially young people to be willing to put in the work that it takes yeah. to really develop a craft, but also see themselves as creators, uh, not only consumers, even in areas where they're not going to develop and become say a, you know, a pianist or an artist, yeah. but just be able to, um, to express themselves creatively. Yeah. It's a very good question. I mean, we've talked about 
about this, uh, not in this podcast, but you and I <laughs> talk about this a lot as parents. Um, um, so, yeah, it's a, one of the things that that is not very obvious, but but we need to always remind ourselves and our our community is that it's we're living in a very negotiable space, meaning like we have a say in what's happening. So the idea of being a consumer needs to be, you know, a participatory situation. I work diligently with my children how to be producers of things as opposed to like just consumers. Mm. So we talk a lot about how, okay, if you like, you know, films, how about you make your own films? What are the steps that it, that, that it takes to make films? If you like, um, if you like to consume music, you know, whatever it is, art, you know, why, why don't you start painting stuff and, and be part of that, have an opinion why you like something, why you don't like something, and not have that opinion be only expressed with words, but why not you do something about it? You know, you, you make something that you like that is challenging the things you don't like, you know, um, you respond to it with, with the work that you do. Um, so we talk a lot about that. And I think it's really important for kids to engage in crafts, in art, and um, in making things, for one thing, it, it really helps them with focus and it helps them with patience and it helps them with um, understanding the difficulty of making things, which is to say it gives them a lot of insight into how things can be made and, and appreciation as well. So if I go to like, a museum, I spend a lot of hours staring at a painting. And the reason why that is is because I've made paintings and I know how hard that is. <laughs> you know, so when you've done something, it's like if you've cooked, then you appreciate food. You can taste it. You can you can taste food and you can say, oh, they put like this kind of spice in it and they've like it must be a combination of this and this and this. I have I've uh, you know joked with a friend of mine who was an architect, brilliant architect knows nothing about food. And he, you know, a friend of ours gave us a, a cake. It is a, this amazing cake. And he just like puts it in his mouth and just chews it and swallows it. <laughs> and I'm, I just like yell at him and like, why didn't you like, why didn't you like savor it there? Why didn't you like, you have anything to say about that? Like, why did you eat, you know, like, and he's like, what? I, it was good. I ate it, you know, like be quiet about it, you know? And uh, we just uh, joke about that because if you're an architect, then, uh, then when you see spaces, when you see a built uh, building, you have a lot to say about it, whether good or bad, right? And so that's something that's kind of fascinating. And, and kids need to have that. And the way they get there is by, by participating. And I think we all need to participate to some degree, maybe not you know, to be professionals, but it's good to have... Uh, it's good to have the idea that this world is not something that's pre-made, but it's something that we have a hand in, you know, the kind of environment we, we're creating, like we're designing. It's good to feel like you have a, a say in it and 
that you can negotiate with it. You can change things if you don't like it, you know? And I think that comes from those early days of like crocheting, making a little sweater and, you know, and, you know, creating a little uh, code to make like a little video game or whatever it is. Like you learn that you can actually adjust things around you. And I think that's, that's like a superpower. That's really interesting and important for people to have, you know? I really like that. It's 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 about having a sense of agency. You're not yeah. acted upon. Things are not only happening to you. Yeah. Um, you're as you study history, it's not only his you are part of the moment. You are yeah. you have a role in creating that moment, yeah. however small it might seem or large. So I think that's that's a really inspiring <laughs> that's a really Yeah, you you're you're also message. not a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not just this thing, this thing happened to me. No, it's not. It's not just that. I mean, you can walk away from anything you don't like, and you can make things that you like. So you can, you know, organize things in ways that work for you. So, at least to to even feel that way. That's whether that's like real or not. Just the the kind of the thinking that you can is kind of amazing. You know, that's that's just incredible, right? Which is which makes it even more problematic when, for economic reasons, art programs or music programs are cut from schools or are only available to students in schools with more economic resources. Yeah. Because it's not, it shouldn't be seen as something that's an extra, but yeah. integral to how we develop as well, human beings. You know, you have to understand that we are the ones that created a line, a demarcation between this type of knowledge and that type of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's arbitrary. It's not something that in reality, there is a, a, a crisp line between physics and, mm-hmm. and art. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's what I'm looking at with this, with this uh, book that I'm writing is that like Galileo was a phenomenal, you know, artist, you know, like animator or whatever, you know, like it just, you cannot be like, if you're an artist, if you're a scientist, you're also an artist. If you're an artist, you're also a scientist. Like is it's very hard to do one or the other, you know? And so, but like, we've kind of decided at some point that these these things belong in different classrooms, these things belong in different worlds. Okay, fine, that's okay. But it doesn't mean one is less than the other. I think that's where we go wrong. Okay, at least we, we can say, if we decide that these things are separate for organizational purposes, for like logistical reasons, I accept that, that's fine. We can go with that, but doesn't mean one is like, there's no hierarchy between these things, right? So they're both trying to kind of achieve the same thing. And yeah, I think that's how I think about these things, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, Abel, I've loved our conversation Mm -hmm. and I wonder if people are curious and want to actually see your artwork or follow you or learn more about your book when it comes out, where's a good place for them to get more information yeah so they can go to abeltalon.com they can go to uh, my instagram handle abeltalon studio um yeah the, um yeah if they go on facebook abeltalon uh facebook artist and artist page um yeah there's a lot of abeltalons um it's a very common ethiopian name so that might be confusing but abeltalon.com is a good place to start <laughs> <laughs> great Thanks, Abel. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thanks for listening to Roots and Sparks. For comments or questions about this episode, 
or suggestions about future guests, please reach out to Corey Oser on LinkedIn or Instagram and follow Roots and Sparks on your favorite podcast platform.